And kids, you can go to Kids on the Rock. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn with me back to Galatians chapter 1. We've been in Acts for a long, long time. Now we're going through the book of Galatians. We started last week in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And there in the book of Galatians, let me say first, uh, this Saturday is a food pantry distribution, and they need help on Thursday afternoon at 3.30 to unload all that stuff. If you feel like God's calling you to serve somewhere, don't know what to do, we've got the perfect place for you. Thursday at 3.30. Um, so last week we began our study of Galatians. We're going to be walking through Galatians for a little bit. And we kind of laid out the introduction to the book last week. We saw that this letter was written because after Paul and Barnabas evangelized the region of southern Galatia in Acts chapter 14, as soon as they left the area, other teachers began leading people away from the gospel there in those churches. We, these false teachers were commonly called Judaizers. They claimed to be Jewish Christians, and they preached that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that He was crucified, that He was raised from the dead. They even said faith in Jesus is necessary for salvation, but they taught that faith alone in Jesus was not enough to be right with God. Something else was needed to be accepted by God, to be adopted into His kingdom. You must believe in Jesus and you must be circumcised and walk in the customs and the traditions of Moses just like the children of Abraham have always done. Now, these teachers, these people who were teaching this thing in the, in the churches in Galatia, they weren't denying that Jesus is the Son of God. They weren't denying that He was raised from the dead. They simply said that salvation was not by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus. It was through Jesus plus something else. So let's reread verses 1 through 10. We read this last week, but let's reread the whole section just to see how Paul begins this letter, and then we'll dive into the text this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then in verse 6, he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And look what they're doing. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would speak to us today. God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and that you would move us to hear your voice, not, 
not my voice, not my opinion, not any of our own thoughts, God. We, we want to hear from you today. And we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we began this letter last week, we saw that Paul wasted no time in making his case. In the very first sentence, verse 1, Paul defends his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was given his message from Christ himself. And we saw that. We looked in Acts at the road to Damascus when Jesus commissioned him. He was given this message by Jesus, not from any man, not from any human being, not through any human being. And then in the greeting, he says, grace to you and peace. Paul laid out the fullness of the only true gospel. He said, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. He gave himself for our sins. And he told us that Jesus' work alone rescues us from the present evil age. Now, we read verses 6 through 10 last week, but we didn't really have time to fully deal with them. So that's what we're going to do today. And the first thing you see in the first few verses, 6 and 7, is really he lays out the peril of turning to a different gospel. Now, before we examine what Paul says here, I want to draw your attention to what Paul doesn't say. In every other letter of the New Testament that Paul writes to churches, in every single one, after the introduction and the greeting, there is always a prayer of thanksgiving for the church. He says, I thank my God for you when I remember you in my prayers to different churches. Even to the sinful, messed up church in Corinth, whom Paul rebukes sternly throughout the letter, he still offers a thanksgiving and a prayer for them in the very beginning of the letter of 1 Corinthians. But here to the Galatian churches, there's no prayer, there's no thanksgiving. He goes straight from the greeting to rebuke. And the reason is because this is too important. It's too important to beat around the bush. They're deserting the gospel. They're deserting God, he says. And Paul's trying to stop a disaster here. So there's no prayer, there's no thanksgiving, no recognition of God's work in them. Instead, he just addresses them with astonishment and urgency. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished. I, I marvel. I am shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. I can't believe what I'm hearing, he might say. I can't believe that you are being taken in by this false teaching and those who trouble you and are trying to distort the gospel. And in the language that Paul uses here in verse 6, you start to see why he is so adamant, why he's so urgent in this. He says, by toying with this false teaching, with them adding things to the gospel, by them been toying with the idea that Jesus alone is not enough to save grace through faith in Jesus, he says, you're deserting God. You see it? I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. You're he says, you're deserting Him to follow this other gospel. But by adding anything to the gospel of grace, by distorting the gospel in such a way, even adding something as relatively small as circumcision, which is what they were adding, that is to forsake the only way to God. The only way that God has given us to be reconciled with Him, to be in relationship with Him. He doesn't say you're, you're, you're deserting the gospel or you're deserting it or you're deserting uh, truth or you're deserting doctrine. He says you're deserting Him who called you. 
It doesn't matter how religious you are or how morally you act. It doesn't matter how, how many prayers or what kind of prayers you pray. It doesn't matter how sincere or well-meaning you are to deny or to distort the only true gospel, to add anything to the gospel, is to separate yourself from God, to be condemned. These false teachers were teaching something that could not save. God only gives us one way, the gospel. There is no other gospel. In verse 7, Paul tells them that this distorted message, this distorted message is being preached as a different gospel, but it is not a different gospel. He says you're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. He says, but there are people among you who are troubling you and they're wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, these folks may say, hey, stop, man. We, we believe in Jesus. They, they may use all the language of salvation and Christianity, but to add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ as necessary for salvation is to distort the truth and to deny the only salvation that God has provided for us. Today, church, we still have to be watchful. Because the greatest deceivers and the most dangerous false teachings tell you 99% truth about salvation. And they co-opt portions of the truth and use the language of truth to hide their false teaching. False teachers look like us. They sound like us. They use the same language as us. They talk about Jesus, talk about resurrection, talk about salvation, talk about righteousness, talk about the scriptures. But to add the tiniest thing to Jesus' finished work distorts the gospel and it condemns those who trust in a different gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said that discernment is not deciding between what is right and what is wrong. Discernment is deciding between what is right and what is almost right. Here, Paul is astonished that the Galatians are even listening to this. They should have resisted anyone teaching that Jesus' death and resurrection is not enough to save. They should have stood against it. But instead, Paul finds that they're, they're deserting the one who called him and going after a distorted gospel that cannot save. Today, many people are still influenced to chase after salvation by works, pleasing God and being accepted God, by God through works, and, and even do so in the name of Jesus. There's no shortage of things that, that many try to add to the gospel, whether it be baptism or traditions or preferences or religious things or ceremonies or good works or, or anything. And these things find traction with people because it's so much easier to think that we're able to do something to fix our sinful state to add to our standing with God. It's hard to hear that you don't have anything good in you at all. That even your good works are filthy rags before a holy God. It's hard to hear that. It's hard to humble yourself and recognize that you are helpless and you are hopeless. And, and the only way of rescue is to receive a gift from a merciful and generous God. That's a hard truth to hear for prideful human beings. But to deny that reality is to cut off the only hope of salvation we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is not just a problem for lost people. 
Believers have to fight to walk in the gospel that we have been given. We also, if you've been born again today, praise God, you are eternally secure, but we have to remember that we still have no goodness in and of ourselves. We have to remember that we cannot earn standing before God either, even now. We've been given everything in Christ and in Christ alone. We have to fight to remember that as we walk through this world. Fight to trust in that. There is no greater standing for you to attain before God. In this life, you will grow in holiness. You will grow in maturity. You will grow in your hatred for sin and your love for God. And you will be maturing all your days. But before God, when you stand before the judgment, you're either perfect in Christ or you're 0% in Christ. There's no greater standing for you to attain. There's no greater rest for you to long for. Oh, it's easy to be lulled away from the gospel by false teaching, by programs, by fads, by whatever new book's coming out, even by our own hearts, our own desires as we walk in this world. Easy to drift off into, into works and chase after temporal things to find our peace and to find our fulfillment. Or to chase after religious things to find God's favor or to bolster our standing before God. In Galatians chapter 2, we're going to see that even Barnabas and Peter themselves drifted away from walking in the gospel. They moved back into the Jewish eating practices to protect themselves and to please other people. And Paul rebukes them for it in chapter 2. This can happen to any of us. We believe the gospel with our minds and we trust the gospel with our hearts. But we fail to walk in it as we live our lives. And then when that happens, we wonder, like, what happened to me? Like, where did my peace go? Where did my joy go? Where did my fulfillment in Christ and my walking with the Lord, that, that, that peace that passes understanding, where, where did all that go? And we wonder why we have no growth in holiness. And we, and we wonder why we have no fulfillment in the truth. You're leaving the only place that it's found. You're leaving the only place where fellowship and acceptance before God is found. We're not walking in what we have been given. So even though we trust the gospel, we believe the gospel, when we don't walk in the truth of the gospel, we're living according to another gospel. And when you do that, you're forsaken the only power for Christian living. Most of you, man, y'all are quiet. Most of you guys know I've been on a diet for like seven or eight months. And I eat all these, I'm eating all these bars and all these shakes and all this stuff from a company, and it's pretty expensive. So this month I'm coming off, off that diet, and I was looking for some, you know, bars and snacky things, you know, that are comparable to these expensive ones that are, you know, kind of the same nutritionally that I can just buy and just start eating that stuff. And um, I, uh, I, I've, you know, after about two months, I guess, I, I found what's called Quest Bars. You ever, everybody ate Quest Bars? You like them? Yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> Honestly, they taste pretty good. They really do. I found one that has, it's just, it's like a, a hunk of raw cookie dough, and it's just glorious. <laughs> and it's, it's good nutritionally. It kind of stacks up nutritionally with what I was eating. So I bought some of these things. I started, I started substituting them for these expensive ones, and I just substitute one every once in a while, just, you know, just trying to come off gradually. And then it was once a day I would substitute one. And then, then it was a couple times a day. And everything was going good, you know, still just maintaining weight and everything. And 
uh, about a month ago, about a month ago, I started getting these really bad stomachache, like terrible pain. Like, I don't know what labor pain feels like, but it had to be close. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was, I mean, uh, for two weeks, couldn't sleep. Like two weeks without sleep. Up all night, just writhing in pain, just pain. And last Sunday, you know, I, well, I guess it was early Monday morning, about 4 a.m., I still hadn't slept, you know, and I was still tired. I was just rocking back and forth, it, it, just in pain, hurting. And I considered going to the ER. It was just hurting so bad. And just on a whim, I figured, well, before I do anything, I'm just going to check everything I've been eating, just make sure I'm, I'm whatever. And those Quest bars had three or four times the amount of fiber in it that I'm used to eating. <laughs> and I'm eating multiple ones a day. But the reason I'm telling you all this, yeah, we're not going to go into detail about all that. The reason I'm telling you all this is because earlier that day, Sunday afternoon, earlier that day around 4 p.m., my stomach was killing me. It was, I mean, it was terrible, terrible pain. But I have to eat on a little schedule, and it was time for me to eat, so I got one of these Quest bars, and I'm sitting there eating this, this bar just a little bite at a time because my stomach is miserable. And I'm, I'm just praying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is my stomach hurting so bad? God, why can't you fix this? I mean, what are you doing to me? I mean, I, I'm sitting here going, Lord, please, you've got to do something. Stop this from happening. I don't deserve this. And I'm, I'm eating what's doing it. I'm feeding on what's killing me. And then I'm complaining that God won't fix it. <laughs> Look, when you leave the gospel for anything else and chase after anything else, seek to find your fulfillment and your rest and your life and your everything and anything else, you can expect to be troubled just like the Galatians were being troubled by these folks that are distorting the gospel. There isn't any other gospel. There isn't any other peace with God. There isn't anything you can add to Jesus' finished work. And when you try, you are leaving the only place that this vital, glorious relationship with God is found. We must daily walk in the gospel that we have been given. And that is what we must feed on. We have all things in Christ. There's nothing more than you can add to your standing before God, your, your, your peace before God. There's nothing more that you can add. Jesus has paid it all. There's nothing more that you can hope to attain than being in Christ. He's given you everything. Believer, we have to fight to trust this gospel alone. We have to fight to walk in this gospel in this world. But how do we do that? The next thing Paul shows us is how we respond to different gospel. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, if anyone preaches a different gospel the Galatians should see them as being under the curse of God, under the wrath of God, because that is what they are. Now, the word accursed here is one you may have heard before. It's the word anathema. It means 
to be condemned, to be cursed, to be excommunicated. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was used for things in the Old Testament that were devoted to destruction or under the ban of God. So Paul says that those who add anything to the gospel, in this case it's circumcision, are to be considered cursed of God. They are condemned of God and should be thought of as such. God has only one gospel by which sinners are saved. And to teach or to believe any other is to say Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection is not sufficient. I must add something to it. To say that He is not enough. And any teaching that claims, implies, or leads to that conclusion should be condemned without hesitation. And Paul tells the Galatians that this curse of God, this accursedness of these teachings and this false gospel, it's universal. It applies to anyone who teaches a different gospel. No one has the right to alter the gospel, not even the apostles. You see in verse 8, even if we, he's talking about himself, even if Paul himself shows back up in Galatia and says, hey guys, I made a mistake, I told you wrong, let me fix it, they should consider Paul accursed. The gospel is not true because Paul preaches it. It's true because Jesus gave it to Paul to preach. Paul even goes so far as to say, even if an angel from heaven appears to you and preaches a different gospel, that angel is to be considered under the curse. Can you imagine that? Like while I'm speaking, while I'm talking right now, and we're sitting here in this, in this worship center, a bright light bursts forth over here on the side of the stage. Just like Paul saw on the road to Damascus, a bright light. And while we look on at this light that's formed right here, an angel manifests itself right here before us. And we see his brilliance, we see his power, this supernatural event, and it's real. It really is an angel, and this angel really is from heaven. He says, if an angel from heaven preaches. And as we stand here looking at this miraculous, supernatural display with our mouths wide open, and the angel says, Hello. I'm sure you say more than that, but whatever. You know, you are blessed, O oh people of God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And God has now sent me here with a word for you. In, in these last days... God is requiring one more thing for you to be accepted. We are to say, whoa, you're accursed of God. We will not listen. I don't care if it's miraculous. I don't care if it's supernatural. I don't care if the light bursts forth. I don't care what sign or wonder it is. If it adds anything to the gospel, it's accursed of God. Listen, just to make sure the Galatians understand, Paul is not just giving an outburst. He repeats it twice. Verse 9, he says, as we have said, this, said before, so now I say again. And then he says, if anyone, anyone at all, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There's no exceptions. There's no loopholes. Listen, I've been here five years, and you've heard me preach a lot of sermons if you've been here. Most of you probably know exactly where I stand on pretty much every issue, and we've walked through on Sunday and Wednesday night, we've probably walked through ten whole books of the Bible. But if I show up here one day, 
and I start telling you, oh, I've made a mistake and I've changed my mind and start preaching to you a different gospel, you need to label me accursed. And please don't think it can never happen. It happens all the time. I mean, I, you know what I mean. Don't trust that I won't ever tell you something that's not right. You better be looking at that word yourself. Even the most godly, eloquent, loving preacher, if they preach a different gospel or add to the gospel, mark them and reject them. Don't matter what kind of Christian language they use, doesn't matter what part of the truth that they agree with, they add anything, even the tiniest thing, to how you are accepted by God, cursed, devoted to destruction, condemned. Don't listen to them. That also goes for our own hearts as well. We can't trust or listen to our own hearts. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We must hold fast to the Word of God even over what our own emotions tell us, or what our own hearts tell us, what the world influences our hearts to think. We must preach the true gospel to ourselves. So hear this, church. If anyone, even your own heart, tells you that you need something else in addition to the finished work of Jesus Christ and your faith in Him, grace by faith in Jesus alone, to be fully accepted, fully pardoned, fully adopted, to have peace with God and perfect rest in His work and His love, we say, away with you. I condemn that. We stand against any distortion of the gospel and place it under the ban of God, under the curse of God that he says it is under. And finally, Paul shows us in verse 10 the power to stand against a different gospel. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I seeking to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, why does he say that here? It doesn't seem like it flows from what he just said and what he's about to say. The strange statement. So evidently, Paul had been accused of being a man-pleaser. These false teachers were saying, you know, when Paul preaches to the Gentiles, he leaves out all the hard things like circumcision and keeping the law of Moses and all the things that you're supposed to do because he wants you Gentiles to accept him. He wants to please you guys. He wants you to like him and to receive his message. When he preaches to the Jews, it's a different story. But when he preaches to y'all, he's just trying to get y'all to agree with him. He knows you won't like all this stuff about circumcision and the law of Moses and all that stuff. And he'd rather please people than please God by telling you the whole truth. To answer this, Paul says, I just pronounced a curse on everyone who preaches a different gospel. Just pronounced God's curse on anyone and everyone who gives a different gospel. Just condemn them publicly. This letter would have been read in the church and those false teachers would have been there. Just condemn them publicly. And in verse 10 he says, after he pronounces the curse, he says, Does that sound like I'm trying to please people to you? Does it sound like I'm trying to seek their approval? Or does it sound like I'm trying to please God? And then he gives us this truth that we, we need to hear. He shows us his motivation and the power by which he is standing for the gospel and proclaiming these things. He's striving to be the servant of Christ that he is, not to please people. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Implying that he is the servant of Christ. He says, I, I, if I'm trying to please man, that means I'm not serving Christ. 
Paul says, I stand in the gospel and I stand for the gospel because I am a servant of Christ alone. Note this, church. No one can serve two masters. Paul can serve Christ alone even in the face of saying hard things and standing against people for the true gospel. Paul can live for Christ alone because the gospel had taken root in Paul's life. The gospel had delivered Paul. It was the gospel we saw in Acts that changed him from a persecutor of Christians to being persecuted by other people. We're going to see that as he gives his testimony once again in the next section. We saw it in Acts. He, he was beaten and stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra in Acts 14, which is in Galatia. And what did he do? He got right back up and he went back into the city. How do you do that? He's serving Christ, not other people and not even himself. Paul didn't have to live to please people, nor to please his own flesh. He lived as a servant of Christ. Why? Because he'd already received his approval of God in the gospel. He'd already received everything in the gospel. He didn't need to chase after anything else. He didn't need to chase after anything, even his own thoughts and his own heart for, to find peace or to find rest or to find his life or to please anyone. In the gospel, Jesus Christ is enough. He's enough for salvation. He's enough to live abundantly in any circumstance. In Philippians, Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever state that I'm in. And then he lists all these things, whether I'm poor, whether I'm hurting, whether I'm persecuted, and all these things, he said, I can be content in all of those things. And we know how, because in Philippians 4, he says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That verse is not talking about winning football games. It's about enduring hardship and suffering and loss. I found the secret to contentment, Paul says. It's in Christ. Christian, in the gospel, we have been liberated from seeking the approval of others. If we've been born again, we're liberated from seeking to please our own thoughts and our own flesh to find fulfillment, to find peace, to find joy, to find purpose and all of the things that we, we chase after so often. We're free now if you're in Christ. We're free to be servants of Christ alone. We're free to seek to please the Lord alone. Why? Because we're rooted in the gospel. And in the gospel, we already have our acceptance before God. We're free to walk in peace and in power because we have found our peace in the gospel. And we don't need anything else from this world. It's for freedom that Jesus has set us free. We're free to serve Him without fear of ever being rejected because our acceptance is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. In this simple gospel, we have everything. Jesus took upon Himself the nature of man, entered into His own creation, lived perfectly this righteous life that we could not live. He kept the law of God perfectly in every way and He gave His perfect life as a substitute, as a sacrifice for the sinner so that on the cross the Father poured out all of His hatred, all of His wrath of sin, all of His anger, all of His punishment on His own Son, so that the one who believes in Him and is united with Jesus Christ could be set free from all of that wrath and all of that punishment. Jesus stood in the place of sinners 
And when we trust in Him, we are united with Jesus Christ. His righteousness is applied to our life. And it's a perfect righteousness. And our sin is placed upon Him and He takes the punishment for it and He takes it fully and completely. There is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. So now the Father looks at the one who is in Christ. And though we still sin in practice and we still fail and we still walk according to this world sometimes, if we're in Christ, He sees the perfection of His Son. And that means we're free. And if anyone, anything, even my own heart, tries to distort that gospel and get me chasing after something else, I place it under the ban of God and I reject it. And I trust God's word over my own thoughts, my own emotions, and certainly over anything else anybody tells me even if it's from this pulpit right here. So whom do you serve today? Better question is, in what gospel do you stand? There's only one. Where is all of your hope found? Jesus Christ alone saves. When you trust in Him, you are born again, and your sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. And there is no higher status than you can attain with God than being in Christ. Trust in Him. Give Him your heart and life if you've never trusted in Him, if you've never been saved. And believer, we have to fight to walk in what we've already been given. We have to stand in this gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and for dying for our sin, rising from the grave. We thank you that you're seated at the right hand of the Father now. You're interceding for your people. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in you, God, that hasn't entrusted their life to you, I pray, God, that you would call their heart right now, that you would speak to them, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would show them the cross, show them your mercy, show them the salvation that you so freely offer as a gift. Show them the eternal life that only you can provide. God, and give them the strength to call out upon you, to trust in you that you died for our sin, that you died for their sin. And God, I pray that they would entrust themselves to you, that your death, your resurrection, Jesus is enough to pay for my sin. And that they, we would find our peace in you. God, I pray that you would help us as believers to walk in what you have given us, to walk in the truth of the gospel and to live it out day by day. Only you can do this in us as the Spirit leads us and guides us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do so. Lord, we do love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. I'd love to pray with you if you want to come. Will you stand with me?